Welcome to Because You Need to Know. I'm Edwin K. Morse, President and Founder of Pioneer Knowledge Services. This series is your digital resource of valuable conversations with nonprofit and knowledge management enthusiasts from across industries and from around the globe. My name is Candice Borgstein and I live in Pretoria in South Africa. I'm currently working in communications for a non-profit organization and we focus on financial inclusion. This is in the South Africa and the SADC region. The SADC region is the Southern African Development Community and it has 14 member states or countries that belong to that. Uh, the last book I read was The Heart of Darkness by Joseph Conrad. It was written in 1899 and I've always wanted to read this book. So I eventually just found a copy and sat down and got on with it. So looking past some of its dark themes, I really wanted to look at the writing style. Somebody had mentioned recently about sort of my writing style and it harking back to some of the older styles. And I thought, oh, that's interesting as a communications person. Let's have a look at maybe what that kind of is and see who, which writers I resonated with. And I find books, especially classic books, interesting from the viewpoint of the writing style and also the themes. So working in communications, you follow trends and topical conversations to make sure your messaging is always relevant. But that idea of classic or recurring themes is also incredibly interesting. So in the case of the Conrad book, it may have been darkness, whether it's power dynamics or morality or whatever else tickled your fancy. But in our recent times, maybe these themes are things like community or sharing or hope or continuity. So when I read classic books, it sort of reminds me that there are cycles and human truths that have a way of standing the test of time. I usually balance sort of reading an older book or an older work with sort of more contemporary pieces. And you balance that out with a bit of articles and podcasts and a smattering of social media to keep it interesting. I also just completed my PhD in September last year. And I took an evolutionary approach to the interpretation and visualization of data in a dynamic digital world. And it was a great opportunity for me to just explore how I see the connections in the way design and communications and knowledge management and so many other things lead to more effective decision making. It was a combination of academic concepts, business, and some of my more creative background, all of this leading up to how to visualize data, presentations, and content. It was really exciting, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm sure I'm supposed to say it was very arduous and that I, you know, I really struggled to get it finished, but I just loved every minute <laughs> yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the topic that I can talk about for hours is about how everything is connected, um, and both my work and my personal life um, are like this. I studied information design as my first degree, and I think this was just the start of intersections and intercontextuality and seeing the design and everything. And in my comms work, I believe you can really use many approaches to convey content in a way that allows for effective decision making. It's about doing this without distorting the message or making, you know, guiding people so that they make the wrong decisions. And it's also about understanding how people read and digest that message and what actions they take from it, all based on how you present it. So for me, it was just a fascinating field where I could dig into it and really get my teeth stuck into some of the things that excite me. Boy, I guess so. <laughs> and this is my cat's tail. So if you see that going by, she's very involved with everything. That's I do. fantastic. That's just the way cats should be. Yeah. Well, the dog doesn't <laughs> agree because the dog's laying on the floor like, hey, uh, you've got a lot of passion and it shows and this will be splendid. Excellent. When you design knowledge to transfer, 
what are components you have to think about on the consumption side? And I bring that up because I find that most people are either they're on the content development side, but it's hard for them to bridge over sometimes to the consumer. Definitely. I find people are very narrow-minded in how they see any sort of content or any way of presenting the design and that. And I think that's what makes sort of my wide approach. So because I started in information design and some of my first work was in the advertising industry, it's very much about understanding who the consumer for that particular product is and you design it in a specific way. And then, of course, you go into the business world and maybe even the development world where it's not just about pushing out, you know, you're not just selling some shampoo to somebody. It's a, a completely different tone and almost pace of your communications as well. So in that way, I think it's about using some of your visual language and the visual way that you are able to present it and also to keep it exciting. So I think there's something that comes from there, but then to take that step back and place it in sort of the organizational context or the wider sector context. So this is more than just thinking user experience, like that's the major term in technology as far as web-based information, right? It's they've shifted from the developer to the, actually the user, which was a nice change because some of us that remember <laughs> old technology, it was built by those cats for them, not so much mm -hmm. everybody else. It seems the paradigm has shifted to the degree that it is really the consumer's paradise now for a lot of things, but there are industries and organizations that haven't quite figured that part out, especially on the internal communications. What would you suggest to an organization that hasn't really given much thought to how they design their internal products? That's quite interesting. So I always see communications, first of all, as kind of being both internal and external from an organization. And I find that it needs to ebb and flow. So I think if you follow that there's a certain pace and a certain sort of dynamicism that moves along with that. And I think when it's time to communicate externally, you do that. But when it's time to just take that step back and look at if you're having the same resonance with your staff or your colleagues, I mean, even the person next to you is not understanding or consuming the information in the same way that I am. And that's just a great sort of barometer to kind of take that step back and say, put yourself into the two different shoes, but realize that they, for me, are quite fundamentally different in approach. What, you know, you don't just take one and put on a different package and it kind of works very, very easily. I find you just have to really look at when's the right time to change some of those things and to look at bringing that communication in. And I find if you're pushing it at the wrong time, that almost is like really just selling in the dark. So if you find that right time and just sort of take that step back, you know, your colleagues are all around you and they're the ones who are, who know you quite well. So it's, it's for one side, it's a good thing to kind of get their perspective on what you're putting out, but then to ask somebody else who doesn't follow you quite yeah. so closely. Mm. I, I get that, but step back to your timing. Mm -hmm. What do you mean by at the right time? So let's take um, where I'm working currently. Um, we have sort of a lot of, of funder sort of communications and messaging that needs to go out almost on a regular basis, you know, and some projects mm -hmm. take quite long. So it's, it's almost that continual kind of push. It's an update. It's that kind of a thing. But when there's a lull 
in that space, that's when you go back to the internal side and share some internal updates, get everybody excited again, and just get them up to date and up to speed. Whereas I find if something's going on in the outside world and you're communicating that, that is the wrong time to try and get people up to speed or to kind of take them on the journey of what you're looking at doing next in the communications journey. I find the communications pace will tell you when when that is. And I find often pushing it at the wrong time is kind of the worst idea. So you're not talking about setting up calendar reminders like Tuesday, it's Tuesday, we need to push something. You're talking about more of a response to the need Absolutely. or, or predicting the response to the need. Absolutely. Yeah? And it's about, I think it's about understanding the culture of your organization or, you know, whether that might be sort of an organization that's split across two locations or even in mm. remote working, mm. you know, you've got to understand that pace and when to push out that communications. People are maybe, so I mean, a Tuesday reminder, you know, it's sort of Tuesdays we're doing this. If somebody's just not engaged on that day or they're, they're somewhere else, you've completely missed that mark. And I think that's yeah. a core thing in sort of really speaking to the people and making a difference. So what's the biggest challenge in rolling out any kind of formal knowledge management, do you think? So I think for one, it's just kind of understanding your audience. And, and by that, I mean, it's actually understanding almost each person that you're speaking to. I've always been relatively lucky to roll out to groups of people who are quite similar, but recently taking that step back and speaking more to colleagues around me, it's about understanding each person and how they consume and digest that information. And I think that's the trick. So it's quite interesting if you're having, you know, somebody who's doing a knowledge sharing session and you'd sit down afterwards or you sit down the next day and actually try to understand what people took away from it. Sure. It's very, very interesting. Yeah. yeah. So you're, you're talking about presenting content in almost a learning objective kind of framework that you want them to learn something. Yes, yes. And almost just to kind of know something and be aware of something. I find within an organization, there's often that feeling or within a group of people that some people know what's going on and some people feel like they kind of no, left yeah, behind. Yeah. And whether you're learning or Nobody not. Nobody told me. I, <laughs> exactly. What? What? I didn't know we were leaving today. Exactly. You know, it's like, how did you not know that? Yeah. <laughs> and how does communications fill that role or knowledge management fill that role? You know, and I think a lot of it is just about kind of knowing and feeling that sort of change and movement that's happening. <laughs> so I, I got to say in that framework, what you're talking about with your adaption to the consumer in trying to figure out, you're not talking about creating a message for everybody separately. Mm. You, you've got to figure out something that works for everybody. But do you double and triple your distribution in different ways of the same content? What I'm asking is, if you've got an audible learner that rather would listen than read or, you know, that sort of thing, do you try to build messaging that says the same content over different formats or different mediums in order to canvas a larger so, population? I don't know if this will answer your question 100%, but let's give it a go. So I find if you, let's say you record somebody and that's the information that you, you really want to share, some people will digest it in that format. That's great. But what I find is with all the different design tools and skills that kind of sit in, in the wheelhouse, perhaps some people will digest that in an infographic. So you're still disseminating that recording to them, but you're adding on. So I really find by augmenting and putting it in a way that's maybe interactive, that they feel like they have choice. Good point. So I, oh, I see that, but I want to go into it 
in that way. And that's how I approach it. So instead of creating a PDF of the content in static form, you're saying to add in layers of engagement to just make it more interactive and fun or uh, self-guiding to the individual. Oh, I'll click on that. Oh, I like that because I get what you're saying. Infographics can pack a powerful punch if they're well thought out and designed. If it's just a static bar chart of the pie chart, eh, that may help, but it's kind of low luster now compared to what we could do and using business intelligence tools to create more in-depth clickable engaging things absolutely so what's what how do you do that <laughs> so one step one, step one. <laughs> <laughs> so i like to i mean i'll use the term hub quite loosely you know I've, I've worked across different countries where we sort of have these hubs where you share resources and you kind of pull everything and you put it in one place but i find from having the design mindset you've gone through these steps of designing something, putting this plan in place, and it will have multiple pieces of visuals, multiple pieces of audio, whatever the case may be. And I find putting that all together and actually allowing people to take pieces from it. So I find, you know, like instead of giving somebody a flat PDF, I will say, here's the PDF, but here's maybe also the PowerPoint and here's pieces you can take away. But I think the trick to that, like you said, mm -hmm. and you said it there, is to make sure that it is well-designed. So that infographic can only pack a punch if it serves a purpose or kind of allows people to intuitively move through that in some way. And it's, that's, mm -hmm. that's, that's the fine line in sort of you're giving people things, but you need to give them things that are really useful or, you know, kind of help their lives. Yeah. In an academic sense, you're going away from the sage on the stage mentality to the guide on the side in a properly designed, in, in especially academics, when you have got instructional designers that are building knowledge products for the consumer versus the old style of I know stuff and just listen to me and I'm going to talk for an hour. It's not very engaging. You know, it doesn't engage much of anything uh, in that style or framework. And now with technology laden everything and everybody's got every, all the technology they could stand uh, for the most part, don't you find the barriers now are not so much how to get them the message or how to get them the content, it's in the creation of properly designed products. That's probably the biggest thing. But how do you make everything in an accessible framework? How does accessibility fit into your design work? A lot of it is is around possibly sort of maybe putting together an intranet. So I use a lot of um, sort of sub pages. And by that, I mean that the content is quite easily accessed in a bunch or through a, a really good find, search and find function. But I find because it's put in a way that has the multiple steps together in that particular section, you can go there and find the cross linkages. So sort of an intranet page or uh, you know, really a sub web page for me is invaluable tool. And I, I use that a lot. And that allows me to speak to an internal audience and an external audience. Obviously, of course, if you, you know, you want okay. them to access it. If you had to sit down or a cup of coffee or some other beverage uh, and tell somebody uh, what knowledge management was, what would you say? That's quite an interesting question, seeing as I'm quite new to actually coming to knowledge management. And that's interesting because I always did communications and did a lot of the knowledge management activities underneath communications. And then 
I got um, introduced to this fantastic uh, KM world where people kind of share resources and ideas. And suddenly my whole idea and concept of knowledge management changed. Knowledge management is really just a fantastic space and an environment where a lot of ideas come together and allow you to do some of the communications work better. So for knowledge management, for me, it's kind of just a, a fantastic functional space that just allows this fantastic interaction and community. And I think that's very different to something that isn't knowledge management based. Of course, there's all the, you know, the fantastic ordering of, of information and sharing of content. And I think whether you come to that from a, a purely knowledge management background or something from like communications, you've done it in some shape or form, but you just didn't realize that this is a way of thinking that a lot of people do or share and can do differently. But the whole goal is the idea of sharing things. So for me, I've just loved the idea that knowledge management as a kind of this whole entity exists and thoroughly enjoy it. Everybody I've met along the way in this space. So have you met folks that don't have that? So I think in, in South Africa, because we have, you know, sort of a job where you might cover different different job descriptions in, in the same day. You know, you might move from writing content to kind of fixing up the mm -hmm. intranet. <laughs> uh, you tend to do a little bit of everything and you think that you have to solve all these problems yourself and you don't realize that there is a place where you could have resources and content libraries that actually work. So I think a lot of people are working in that space without knowing it. And then you have the other flip side where people might have knowledge management in their job descriptions, but don't realize that they can pull on things like communication. So, yeah. If you had all the resources that you needed, what would you do in your organization to make knowledge management better? Interesting enough, I don't know if it would be a lot of resources that I would need. It would be a sit down with people and in a really conducive space. So that might be that we need to go and sit outside in the garden and kind of sit in a circle and work out how to talk to each other. I think if we talk about what knowledge management is and actually what it can offer an organization is, is the thing that really is key for me. I know we always talk about getting buy-in from, you know, leadership and management, but I think it's more than that. It's really about showing just this value and community that comes with that. Because I think a lot of the time on paper, that sounds quite flat until you realize you can ask this person for that. It's just a completely different live space to what I think a lot of people think it is. I agree with that. Uh, organizations, as far as when they either adopt or install knowledge management as an enterprise level component, regardless if they've been doing it in small departments or sections or somebody got the idea and they've doing it with their team. If an organization has to adopt it, you're right. You have to explain the value and show the value, but that still does not buy in practice. And so what you're saying is, is if you could just sit down with everybody and have a bit of a chat and uh, discussion group, if you will, or a support group, if you want to call it a support <laughs> group, you want to build in a couple of things. You want to layer in trust. You want to layer in adopting behaviors and building practice and allowing people to explore. But, you know, the key ingredient to that is you've got to have an environment that allows people to fail or uh, spend resources with nothing productive out of it. And not every organization is allowable or agreeable to that. How would you approach that? So I think 
you're you're 100% correct in that you would need to create that space where you can fail and actually find a way forward. And I think that's probably a lot of the problem with some of the development world and the development space that I work in. You know, you're so driven by kind of the funders' needs and, you know, the, the sort of the donor's direction that you would have to work so hard to show the value of, of knowledge management to that. But having said that, I think if you kind of look at a lot of the, there's so much, you know, knowledge management literature and resources and people talking about these type of problems. If you start to pull that together and take um, certain projects at a time and actually start somewhere and build it into that project and show the value you can get on one thing, or even, you know, if you're working in an organization that's got multiple funders, perhaps it's taking one of the funders projects in that field and showing what knowledge management can do to that. And hopefully it'll show people along the way. But I do think it's actually about the priorities of the communications or the knowledge department where we have to say, we need to take a step back. What I'm doing here is not adding value. We can do it differently and we can do it better. And I think a lot of that is just really going nut, down to nuts and bolts and showing some, some small wins maybe. Maybe that's enough, but I think you've got to start somewhere and sort of bite the bullet on, on one of your projects or one of your areas. So how would you communicate that, these small wins? I think those things are sort of some of the continuity that I was talking about a little bit earlier where you're showing little steps at a time and taking people on a journey. It's not so much sort of telling the story because you might not know where the story is going to end <laughs> up. <laughs> but I think it's about being authentic um, and just sort of saying, oh, my goodness, we're trying something new. Oh, uh, the other day I, I mentioned to somebody sort of asking a question in one of our communications. And they were like, who's going to answer that question? And I was like, sometimes we don't even know what the questions are. So maybe it's better people ask the questions and we're not able to answer them. But, you know, that we sort of have that authentic realization that maybe something's not working or it is working. So small sort of incremental communications there that just take people on that journey with you. You know, it's not kind of you versus them. It's kind of, this is where we're at. Yeah. And, oh, are you experiencing the same type of problems? Right, right. <laughs> it's more of the we than the you and me. Absolutely. <laughs> well, thank you very much for being here today, Candice. It's been a joy. Thank you so much, Edward. It's been so much fun. I think it's quite contagious. So um, <laughs> it's the evening by me, but I all feel like I should be fired up and sort of maybe sending off sort of some km flares <laughs> yeah let's head on down to the pub and we'll continue this conversation thank you so much it's been really excellent because you need to know is designed to bring people's experience and their knowledge forward to be shared i'm edwin k morris and i thank you for joining in to listen to another conversation brought to you as a public service of pioneer knowledge services a nonprofit tax exempt organization with a charitable knowledge management purpose. Find us online at pioneer ks.org and add your voice to the conversation on Facebook.